President Joe Biden called the strikes, quote, a clear message that the United States and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel or allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation, unquote. Take out the boats, take out every means that the Houthis have. They vowed to keep attacking shipping and to exact revenge. This is multipolarity charting the rise of the new multipolar world order. So this week, as people probably know by this stage, the United States and Britain uh, struck the Houthi bases in um, southwestern Yemen. I'd say it was a pretty surprising development. The UK had been saber-rattling for a while. Britain had seemed to be kind of taking the lead on the saber-rattling, with America kind of issuing stark warnings to the Houthi rebels to cut out their activity in the Red Sea, imposing an effective naval blockade. Well, we got airstrikes and we got Tomahawk cruise missile attacks. The coalition in the early hours of the morning, 2.30 a.m. local time, struck 60 targets in 16 locations with more than 100 precision-guided missiles, including Tomahawk cruise missiles launched from submarines. I would say it was a pretty controversial action. People really don't want to get dragged into a, another war in the Middle East, broadly speaking. I mean, there's always the types who always want a war, but they're almost quite noise at this stage. In order to sell a war like this, you usually have to win over people who are open-minded. We can talk about it more, but the action's very strange. The nominal reason for the action is because Operation Prosperity Guardian failed. The idea behind Operation Prosperity Guardian was that it was going to be some sort of kind of a broad neck convoy project, I suppose you could call it. The ships, the the warships that were sent to the Red Sea were going to basically kind of provide a kind of air defense net and a fast response capability to commercial ships in the region. That didn't work pretty predictably. I don't think Central Command CENTCOM really ever believed in the operation. It was it made no sense. You can't protect commercial ships 100% of the time. Not possible if your opponent, like the Houthis, have pretty decent anti-ship ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, which they haven't so much used yet, and drones. So that failed, and uh, they reached for the next option. Now, the issue with that is that Operation Prosperity Guardian, despite being a bit of a shambles, at least had a relatively clear goal. The idea is that you send in the cavalry ships, and the ships defend the commercial ships, like a convoy, in a sense, as I said. But striking a bunch of military bases inside Yemen, not really clear what that does. Now, the public relations will tell you that they hit drone launch sites and military bases and all this. Maybe, maybe. But my sense is that the Houthis are, number one, mostly a guerrilla group. Now, if they're a serious army, don't get me wrong, but their tactics are mostly kind of quasi guerrilla tactics and so far as they go and they set up a missile and they launch it and then they drive off. And by the way, those tactics are currently being used by both sides in Ukraine as well. So it's kind of standard operating procedure. If you watch the front line in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, that you'll see that the Russians and the Ukrainians go, they drive up to a, a, a place and they fire off a, a suicide drone and then they, you know, hit it or a, an observation drone for artillery spotting and then they drive away. So this is kind of how things work. Um, but in Yemen, I'd imagine it's a bit more flexible. 
So they'll say that they hit these bases and so on. But I think we've already seen today, the day after, that, that basically we're already seeing, I think there were two attacks on ships today, of course. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So it seems that there's kind of a bit of mission creep here. That's the way I kind of summarize it, that you know, it started with a convoying operation of sorts, and then the convoying operation fell apart because there was no chance it would work. And so now they're moving to kind of like, oh, we'll just strike them. And then everyone's kind of forgotten that the initial goal was to protect ships. And now it's like, oh, we got to take out the baddies. <laughs> and so we've kind of got to that point, like the kind of the kind of clown world point, really. And so what's happened, obviously, is this morning again, the attack was last night on the day of recording. This morning, uh, four oil tankers just threw in the towel and said, we're not, we're not going through the strait anymore because it's basically a war zone. And uh, actually, it was found out that the U.S. military, I think the U.S. military, warned shipping companies to stay out of the area. So the logic, the, the, the crazy logic that we've now reached is, we're going to save you from the Houthi rebels and make sure that there's safe passage through the Red Sea by launching a war, but please stay out of the Red Sea because it's a war zone. Yeah, I'd call that somewhere between mission creep, a complete circus, yeah, it's kind of a pretty bizarre situation. It is a bizarre situation. I think that this action, in theory, in the abstract, unlike a great deal of other Western military interventions in the last 25 years, and indeed a lot of Western grand strategy in the last 25 years, this intervention is actually, in theory, in the abstract, worth it. It does actually involve core strategic interests of the Western world, especially Europe, but also the United States. Why is that? Well, we live in a globalized world. We live in a world in which economies rely to a great extent on trade. And 12%, fully 12% of global maritime trade goes through the Suez Canal. Okay. The Red Sea, which is where the Houthis are attacking or, or, or had been attacking container ships is the entrance or exit uh, to and from the Suez Canal. So it's really clogging up. It's, it's really preventing the, the free flow of, as I said, 12% of global maritime trade. This is a problem. This is something that ultimately uh, feeds through into consumers and monetary policy and thus economies. How is that and why is that? Okay, well, let's just have a look at it in simple terms. The, the Suez Canal is important because in the key trade route from Southeast Asia and East Asia, so ports like Shanghai and uh, Seoul and Guangzhou, Hong Kong and Singapore, the Suez Canal is currently the most direct route to the ports of Europe. Just to give people an idea, from Singapore to Rotterdam, it's eight and a half thousand kilometers and 26 days via the Suez Canal. If ships cannot travel by the Suez Canal, which they can't at the moment, they have to go around the Horn of Africa, which is basically from Singapore through the Indian Ocean, south to South Africa, and then around South Africa and all the way up the other side of Africa along the Atlantic coast into Europe that way. And that takes... 36 days. Obviously, that involves increased costs to individual ships, like, you know, increased costs in fuel, increased costs in payment of wages, etc. 
but there's something more important than that. And that's the way the uh, shipping industry works. Jim Bianco on Twitter, who's been excellent on this, notes that 70% of all shipping is on long-term contracts. So basically, you contract a ship to do you know, a certain route. Now, if they have to go around you know, the Horn of Africa, as we've said, that basically adds 20-plus days to the route there and back. So if a ship could make, say, six or seven runs yearly previously, if it suddenly has to go around the Horn of Africa, it can only make four or five runs yearly. And that means companies, to get their goods from from manufacturer to consumer, have to start entering the spot market, which isn't used to that number of customers fighting over the limited number of ships, which leads to big increases in ships. So it's not just the additional fuel. It's not just the additional time. It's the way that the entire market works causes a spike in the cost. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now, a spike in the cost of shipping that ultimately is passed on to consumers so that when we buy stuff in the shops that is shipped or when we buy stuff that's manufactured in our own countries, but which is manufactured using component parts which are shipped, we have to pay extra for that. That pushes up the cost of living. And that really does have the potential to cause a wage price spiral that in turn forces central banks to start raising interest rates to squeeze down on demand by contracting the money supply. And that affects the entire economy. Okay, not saying it'll happen exactly in that way, but that's the kind of the mechanical theory about the way that this happens. Therefore, my view in general is that a blockage of a key maritime choke point like the Suez Canal, which is what's happening at the minute, is very much a core strategic interest for the Western world, as it is for countries like China and Saudi Arabia, by the way, as well. And therefore, in theory, this action is justified. However, we don't live in a theoretical world. We live in the real world. And I question, seriously, whether lobbying a bunch of Tomahawk cruise missiles and dropping a few paveway bombs on the Houthis is going to achieve anything whatsoever. The Houthis fought a war in which they faced the Saudi Arabians, who could bring to bear, because of their proximity, could bring to bear far greater force of arms against the Houthis, could, on a sustained basis, bomb and attack from the air the Houthis, and they achieved what? Nothing essentially. I'm not sure what a hundred, you know, air attacks will do. You know, a few sorties from fighter jets and a few cruise missiles. I'm not sure what it can achieve. Like how, you know, if there was a limited number of ports that the Houthis launched from, a limited number of missile installations from which the missiles flew, a limited number of airfields from which the drones took off and landed, or, you know, the, the the suicide drones took off and ultimately landed on the ships, a limited number of radar installations and command and control networks. That's the sort of thing that you can degrade very quickly and effectively with precision attacks, such as the ones that we've been told have taken place. I'm not sure that's what the Houthis are. I, you know, my impression is that they're extremely well-armed. Uh, they have an extremely distributed system the arms that they have and the arms that they're using to the the munitions that they're using to attack ships are not in a you know a few military bases or anything like that. They're 
heavily distributed. So I have no idea what this can achieve. And 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 if Twitter is believed, there are indeed reports that they have attacked another ship off the coast. So I, I just don't know what this can achieve except a further worsening of the situation in the Red Sea because now uh, Western ships are fair game. And the Houthis, as far as I understand, do have the sort of missiles that could touch Western ships if they try to escort civilian transport ships through the Red Sea. If they're, you know, launching Tomahawk cruise missiles from 1,200 miles away, no, the Houthis can't touch them necessarily. But that's not ultimately the end game. The end game is to get these ships through the Red Sea and thus through the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean and to Rotterdam within the 26 days instead of the 36 it's going to take to go around the Horn of Africa. So I'm not sure what this can do. It might well, as you say, lead to a worsening situation. That would not surprise me with the sorts of folks that we have running strategic and foreign policy in London and Washington. But that's the situation as I see. It. That's a kind of the basic ground up position as things stand. Yeah, I think you've highlighted the uh, ultimate irony that often the wars that America gets itself involved in can at least be theoretically justified from a kind of a tactical point of view. You know, they can achieve the objective. I mean, nominally, like if they go into Iraq in 2003 and you put on the table, can we defeat Saddam Hussein's army? Yeah, of course. Like we can totally do that. Even with Ukraine, okay, it didn't work out, but you put on the table like, well, if we send all of the NATO forces, you know, the spare NATO munitions and and weapons and so on, yeah, we can defeat Russia. Okay, miscalculation, but, you know, at least like there's the plan and you're going to defeat it. Now, usually the, the issue with those wars is that they were strategically stupid. I mean, they weren't justified on the basis of furthering the power of the country that was prosecuting them. Okay. This time, as you say, this is a pretty clear strategic issue. Like it is very much in the interest of the United States and, and Europe and the West to get this shipping lane open. Yet the tactical picture is just abysmal. You know, it's like you're you're stuck on a desert island with a can with with a can of beans or something, and you you just don't have a can opener. And at a certain point, you kind of bash it and you whack it and whatever. And then you kind of eventually get it open and it just explodes all over you and you have beans all over your face. And you're like, well, maybe maybe you didn't actually have a solution to that problem. I mean, I've been going back on Twitter all day. I mean, I wrote a couple of things, thread or threads or whatever they're called, and one or two of them went kind of semi-viral and I've been getting kind of a lot of feedback, mainly from kind of like military strategy people. And, you know, I'll go back and forth with them and they'll they'll argue or whatever. And at a certain point it gets, you know, I say, well, you know, this will just make the situation worse with the shipping or I don't think that they have the capacity to take out the Houthis because, as you said, the Saudi Arabia has tried to crack that nut for nearly a decade with a much bigger force and they never managed to do so, etc. And at a certain point they say, oh, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't think there's a solution to this crisis. And they go, well, okay, <laughs> no, we need, a, we need to do something. It's, it's, I think you've called it in the past, do somethingism. Like this pointless, we have to be seen to be doing something even though the situation is impossible. Well, to go back to the baked beans analogy, you're probably better off with the intact can of baked beans that maybe down the line you can figure out a way to get it open rather than whacking it against a rock, getting covered in baked beans and looking like a complete idiot. I'd very briefly say about...
what the Houthis are. I think you gave a fairly good overview of it, but I, I think I'd just add something slightly to it. If listeners remember a few years ago, the US, under the leadership of Donald Trump, uh, assassinated General Qassem Soleimani of the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps. Soleimani's job, I mean, the way the Americans advertised it uh, was that Soleimani was the biggest terrorist in the world. And what they meant by that was he went around the Middle East setting up these proxy armies for Iran. I don't know the full details of it, but I'm pretty sure that is what Soleimani was doing and that's what his whole kind of like core group was doing. I think the Israelis hit another one of these guys recently. What I would take from that And adding to that information, the fact that if you look at the Houthis' uh, weapon stocks, they're basically Iranian weapon stocks. And they really are, I won't say they have every weapon in the arsenal of Iran, but they have every weapon that they tactically need. Thank you for listening to this premium edition of Multipolarity. If you'd like to listen to the full 55-minute version, you can head across to Patreon, where for $5, 5 euros or £5 a month, you can have access to that and all the premium editions in our back catalogue, and of course, going forward. If you're already a premium subscriber, just head across to Patreon or look in your secret RSS feed.